Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about comics, specifically the DC Comics released February 21st, 2018. So if you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, go read your comics, or be warned, we will spoil them. So boys, anything we should discuss before we get into the issues, or should we just dive right in? Let's just dive right in. All right. Let's do it. First up is Aquaman, number 33. Written by Dan Abnett and uh, illustrated by Ricardo Federici. This is the finale of the Crown Comes Down storyline, or I think that's just the name of the uh, the issue. I forget what the name of this um, is. It Crown of Thorns, perhaps the issue, the name of the arc. Regardless, I don't it, know. It, it's the last issue in this arc. Um, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. There we go. For. Yep. Uh, Game of Game. Of Th- Ga- Game, Game, of Game of Thorns. Yeah. George Railroad Martin. Got it. All right. Um, what did you guys think of this issue? Um, I liked it in the same way that I've liked the post-Saic Aquaman well enough, but kind of still wish he was still around. There's a, uh, there's a big ass on page uh, <laughs> 8 of our PDF. <laughs> And um, for for scientific reasons, I must investigate this. Yeah, it's a it's dolphins dolphins ass. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So that's a that's notable, I guess. Um, but I really do like this art. Um, yeah, even though it's not quite saic, like it is quite pretty to look at. Yeah, and I feel like this has done. Um, this has done something similar to what everyone is is rightly praising the Black Panther film for doing, which is giving Atlantis a real... Um, I, I, I feel like Abnus did a great job giving Atlantis a tone and a personality that frankly just wasn't there beforehand. And this is continuing that. Yeah. I, uh... Yeah, I agree. I feel like this issue kind of suffered from... Um, like end of arc syndrome where it just had to wrap everything up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But it was fine. What's up with uh what's up with Arthur's glowy eyes business? His eyes glow a bunch in this in this issue. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Is, it, is that a thing he does now? I don't know. It's a little scary, but um, Mara's back and she's good again. She's the queen. Yeah, we yeah, get... I'm really excited for that miniseries. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I think, as we had said when it was announced, you know, it's a shame that it's not a woman writing it. But Abnett's done such a good job with these characters. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have too much. I don't have too much more to add to this. You know, this has been a a good arc. It hasn't been a great arc, but it's been a good arc, and uh, I'm just happy that it, for the first time in what seems like a very, very long time, DC seems to know that it has a winning Aquaman story on its hands, 
and seemingly is letting Abnet just tell the story without without too much of uh, trying to shoehorn anything else in there. Yeah, and they're even expanding on it, you know? I mean, giving giving Mara that miniseries. Remember the Aquaman and the Others miniseries? Oh, that, that was oh, a Jurgen's on- classic. That was an ongoing, my friend. That was... <laughs> I, uh, it couldn't possibly have been. <laughs> oh, it was. <laughs> what was the... Ki- Zach, what was the final issue of that? I want to say 11. I, I, think, I think it was 11 also, but... Uh, yeah. Okay. So it was one of those ongoing. Let's, let's compare. Let's see. I would love to get it right. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm considerably more excited about this than I am about than I was about that. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't love I didn't love the Johns era anyway in Aquaman. No, so. I was actually talking with somebody recently. Yes, eleven. It was eleven. Nice. Man, well played. Feels good. Um. I, uh, I was talking with someone about this recently, how I feel like maybe the John Zara needed to happen to let them try again with Aquaman. Like, if the New 52 Aquaman had been a a failure, would Aquaman even have an ongoing today? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. So, anyway, this arc is good. I'm looking forward to this, uh, this you know this extended story going on. I'm excited about the idea of, 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 of Mira as the queen of Atlantis. I think that's a very interesting concept and, uh, yeah, this is good stuff. That brings us to Batman number 41 written by Tom King, illustrated by the great Michael Janine. And, uh, I, uh, all right. So, 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 <laughs> You said it all. Well, okay. let me say this, all right? One of the things that drives me crazy, and we've talked about this a lot, is when it seems like DC lets certain writers just ignore current current continuity in order to do their thing. And I'm not talking about, like, minor continuity stuff. But Poison Ivy has been a pretty major character in both Harley Quinn and now in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. And both of those have shown her being not so much the sort of traditional villain we've gotten used to in that role. Specifically in Background on the Birds of Prey right now, Poison Ivy is is essentially acting as a hero. And I'm I, I am not saying that that Tom King should should bow to the continuity of Background on the fucking Birds of Prey, but it just seems really weird that a couple of writers are doing something to make her a more nuanced character and King throws her right back into sort of this old villains uh role here well i really like don't even know what's going on here (laughs) (laughs) so for all i know this could be like like poison ivy's weird way of showing throwing a wedding shower for for selena or something Yeah, it's I, I'm I'm I think what sometimes happens with Poison Ivy is um because because she does walk this line between hero and villain, um and I know a lot of people, a very rabid fan base of, of Poison Ivy online 
would argue that she's a full-blown hero now. And I, you know, I think based on previous continuity, I think you can say that that's, that was basically true, you know, but now DC's trying, trying to kind of have it both ways. And I think how they're probably going to play this is that Poison Ivy is the protector, you know, this is a protector role and she's going about it the wrong way. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that just seems to be what they want to do with her lately. And um, I don't know. Sometimes that works for me. And in this case, this this really felt like a step back into the old Tom King that we really didn't like from before Joel Jones got on board. Oh, I didn't feel like this was anywhere near that. The dialogue in this was actually like... Yeah, you think so? I thought so. I thought it was fine. There, there is one moment in this issue that that was so weird. I, I really don't know what to make of it. And uh, so, is it the part where it looks like Bruce is about to elbow Selena, like just right in the boob, just really <laughs> rudely? No, nor is it the the Stanley as a pilot cameo in the uh, in like that 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 I love you too weird dream sequence thing. Uh-huh. Um, but so, okay, so so Bruce realizes that he and Selena have been compromised, and so he's he gets the antidote, and he, uh, you know, he he injects them both with it. And they pass out, and they have this I love you too, like, montage of random people saying this to them, right? Then somehow... The Donald. Yes, including, including our, our illustrious uh, commander-in-chief. Um, and then we get, like, a beauty shot of, of Poison Ivy. And then all of a sudden, they're both in bed, in costume, without their masks. And I thought it was a, I thought it was be a dream sequence because I was like, why the fuck would they be? Why would they have gone from like pajamas in the Batcave to in costume in bed without their masks? But there's no indication that this isn't really happening. And so, like, did somebody? Did like? Did Alfred? As possess- as possessed by poison ivy, like get them dressed and tuck them in. I know this is a minor gripe. I know I sound like I fanboy when I'm saying this, but it just there's so, there are a bunch of things in this issue that just felt like I was missing some connective tissue there, and that makes an already awkward issue read five times more awkwardly. I mean, yeah, I I don't feel maybe there's someone out there who is way more adept at parsing through. Tom King comics who could explain it. Um, but I feel like it's going to take another issue for sure. Yeah. That's just kind of what I chalked it up to, you know, like it's just something we don't know yet. We don't really know the mechanism for the timeline yet. I don't think we're supposed to have it figured out. Well, I certainly but I know don't have it figured out. So, yeah, but I know that things like that, like, I feel like this has been the, the the problem with Tom King's Batman all along, is that, like, is it, is it, is it like a weird uh, storytelling error or, 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 or accidental, uh, accidental lack of clarity, or is it perfectly clear and we just have to wait to find out? And I'm not invested in this enough to care which it is, you know? Fair enough. So, like, 
I don't know. I really didn't like this. I, I want Joel Jones back, and it's really got not much to do with uh, Michael Jannon's art, who, you know, I like his art quite a bit, but I, for some reason, it just doesn't work in Tom King's Batman for me. I don't know. Is, is that weird? I mean, I, I think Jack Kirby could have drawn this comic, and I still wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like uh, there was there was some good stuff with the Super Friends arcs, and uh, you know this is just uh, and when I say good stuff, I mean like passable stuff. Now I, I wasn't in love with any of those comics, but they were yeah. they were passable, and this is just back to the same old bullshit. You know, it's weird. Like Tom King seems to be taking his turn at various villains. You know, yeah. And but when that when the turn comes up for a new villain, like it feels really disconnected from everything else. Like where did all this poison ivy shit come from? You know? Yeah. yeah. He drops us like right in the middle of I mean she was a part of that one arc, wasn't she? She was a part of Scott Snyder's uh Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. You're right. You're right, yeah. Of All Star. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the good news in all of this is there's only 59 more issues in Tom King's uh, 100-issue Batman arc. <laughs> we'll, we'll be there to guide you through every one of them, dear reader. Yes. Yes, we will. Um, let's talk about Batman and the Signal number 2, written by Scott Snyder and Tony Patrick, illustrated by Cully Hamner. Um, this feels more important like to DC's overall story than I feel like the book is being marketed. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, this kind of is you know, playing metal fallout slash bridge between DC and New Age of Heroes stuff and it's doing a lot in a little three-issue miniseries that um, on paper feels really important, but execution feels pretty... I mean, again, I think it kind of feels pretty... Um, safe? Bland? A little bit? I don't know. I By the numbers, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. I remember you were very down on the first issue, whereas, mm-hmm. Vince, you loved the first issue. Yeah, I really did. And this issue kind of brings me back down to earth. Not that I think it's bad or anything. Um, actually, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoyed Duke. I think Duke is a great addition to the Bat family. Mm-hmm. Um. It's just that that first issue had a bunch of stuff in it that felt surprisingly important, as you alluded to already. And it suggested things to me that got my mind working a lot more than this issue did. Like with the whole dial thing, you know, I was thinking dial H. Well, it turns out it's just sundial. So yeah. derp. Uh, that's a derp on my part. But it's that's way less interesting to me than the prospect that Maybe all this meta stuff and the metal has something to do with the H dial, you know? Yeah. Um, 
so but that's fine you know it's just it's just less exciting and and you know this book was more or less a straightforward kind of uh fight between duke and those uh kids that were in that juvie juvie arkham or whatever and um you know it was a little less weird a little more conventional than the first issue and uh so i came away less impressed with it but I, I still really do like Duke as a character. And, like, I would read an ongoing that was focused on him, you know? Yeah. It's just not it's not hitting the heights that I thought maybe the miniseries would. Yeah. Uh, one of my least favorite things that happens in comics happens in this issue, which is <laughs> that, I, like, all the time there are these sort of, like, buzzwords or buzz phrases that creators throw out there about certain characters and I hate when a writer is is not creative enough to work it in in an elegant way and therefore just says, like, the thing the company wants them to say. And, <laughs> and I feel like there's a line in here where somebody meets Duke and they're like, well, you're not wearing a Robin costume, so Batman is obviously trying something new. And, like, no no civilian would ever come up with that. <laughs> Even no one in the in the GCPD would say that. Like, that is what Scott Snyder said about the character. But that's not what, like, an in-story person would ever think. Right. And, uh, and that's just, like, blatantly said. They've done that several times with him. Like, anytime somebody expects to see a Robin that I'm talking about in, like, even back in, like, Batman and stuff. Right. It's always, like... Batman always has to be like, I'm not doing Robin this time. I'm doing yeah. something else. It's like it's like they keep having to say that same thing just to reassure everybody that, yeah, we have a plan for Duke, and it's different from... Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. But, but I really like Cully Hamner's art. I think Cully mm-hmm. Hamner is, is one of the more underrated guys at DC. They pull him out for a miniseries. Like, I remember he did an issue of that Shade miniseries with James Robinson. And, uh... He does things here and there, but I, I wish Cully Hamner did more because I think his his stuff is really expressive. Well, without being um, like I, I feel like so, sometimes when they bring in a an overly expressive artist, it doesn't fit in with DC's sort of house style, which which doesn't go as as big as sometimes uh, someone like Hamner does. But I love his style personally. I think he fits this book really well. Hmm. Uh, anyone have anything else to add? No, not really. All right. I'm just going to take a stab in the dark here and say none of us read Batman Sins of the Father. I fell asleep halfway through it. There you go. I tried reading it last night, and it was a snooze fest. That's a shock that a Telltale game tie-in would be a snooze fest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, snooze a palooze. All right, let's let's talk about Batwoman. Um, written Batman twelve, written by Marguerite Bennett, illustrated by Scott Godlewski. Um, we're still on this fucking island. <laughs> Here, I have a I have a good take uh, regarding that though. Okay, if you would have told me that this was the like first issue of Batwoman, and this would have been what we got out of the island of coriana uh-huh. stuff this is all you need agree i thought yes. this, i thought this issue was really solid 
and that if if we would have gotten just this, that would have been enough because everything that like the relationship, uh, you know, the relationship that she forms on this island and on all this stuff and this motivation for, um, sort of the turn to being an being an enemy of hers by the end of this is all pretty much handled in this issue. Yeah. And it's really well done and it's really all you needed. <laughs> I feel like we've been dragging this out when, when this is proof right here that a lot of what we've seen already could have been accomplished in a much shorter amount of time. Yeah. But I also feel like maybe they're dragging it out to, to wait to catch up with detective comics. You know what I mean? I don't know. If that's the case, then just don't start this book when you're going to start it. Yeah. I don't know. I just want to say I really liked the art. Oh, yeah. Godlewski, yeah. He's, um, he's, he's, been, he's been on Superman a bit, right? Is that where we've seen him before? I think so. Yeah, he's he's been like one of those um, one of those guys who's filled in on a number of books in Rebirth. Mm-hmm. And has been quite yeah, good. he did. He, he did that issue of Superman with um, uh, Michael Morisi. Mm, yeah, oh, that's yeah. it. Yeah, and, and he did. Uh, he's done a couple other issues here and there, although I can't pinpoint them right now. Yeah. Um, I felt like his work in this issue was almost kind of uh, Manipool esque. Yeah, well, I in can some see places. That. Um. Yeah, it was a really pretty issue. This I, uh, didn't didn't pay much attention to the story. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this issue showed that Bennett has a really good grasp on sort of what makes like what makes Kate tick slash what Kate's maybe um, like. Uh, weaknesses are as a hero. I, I think everything about that scene with uh, I'm forgetting the guy's name now. Maxin. Maxin, yeah. I thought all that stuff was really, really well handled, and I enjoyed it. But I just I'm so far beyond the point of caring about this island anymore. Yeah, I think what I would tell people is that they could jump onto Batwoman right here. Yeah, you know, like if you if you're interested in Batwoman and you haven't been reading it yet. You could jump in here on issue twelve and get and understand everything that that Kate has taken from her time on this island, from her "quote unquote" lost year. You get it all right here, and and let's hope going forward, like we're not just stuck to because I, I, you know, I don't even think it's so much because like Dick can spend a year in. Uh, Bloodhaven and have a year's worth of stories, you know, but the problem is, is that I feel like a lot of the same themes and points about Kate's character are being made over and over again, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It'd be different if we were getting more variety, I think. I, th- I really liked this issue. I did. It's just, yeah. I also feel you're like... Not, you're not wrong about yeah, how I, long this is dragged out. I feel like in Bloodhaven, there, there are... There's opportunity for Dick to do things that maybe he couldn't do in Gotham. And I feel like this island hasn't been explored as anything other than literally any island on Earth could could be this. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it doesn't feel, the setting doesn't feel unique to me. Mm-hmm. 
All right. That brings us to Milk Wars, part four. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye slash Swamp Thing special. Written by John Rivera, illustrated by Langdon Foss. Um, this, of all of these tie-in issues, seems to me to be the most plot-driven of them. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I also think that it's uh, there are some times when you can really feel that they have to get certain like plot information out to the reader. Does that make sense? I guess. I didn't really... Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't really feel that, but... We'll yeah, you. I didn't think it was any necessarily more plot-driven than the other two issues, necessarily. I think it was more explicitly about... Like, okay. The plot? <laughs> well, but I mean, it's still about, like... It follows the same... Um, the same formula of you know milk possession if anything this issue breaks out of that mold a little bit more and then like tells a a story outside of that perhaps advancing the milk wars plot but not really like not any more than i think the other ones did oh i don't i don't know if i agree with that boys i mean I don't know. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, I'm not. I, I actually think that the other the other two Milk Wars tie-ins felt a little bit um, inconsequential. Maybe is the word I'm looking for. And, and and it seemed like you, especially after reading the first one, you kind of knew what was going to happen in each of them. That it was going to be this milk possession, and they were going to break out of it. And th- and this broke that si- that cycle a little bit faster. And I appreciated it. But I think, I think by necessity they had to they had to do a little bit more for the overall Milk Wars story here. It couldn't be as self-contained. Yeah, I guess that that is a little bit fair. This does kind of feel like a, I guess kind of like a one point five chapter, you know, in between the main issues. Yeah. Whereas the other ones don't really feel like that. They kind of feel more just. Um, you know, ancillary tie-in. Yeah. What are what are Batman and Wonder Woman doing, basically? Yeah. I think, okay, here's what I think. I think, like, if the Batman one was about, like, the way that religion can corrupt, you know, and the, and the, the Wonder Woman one was about, like, the patriarchy and domesticity and and you know the the overall arc of retcon sort of uh shaping the world to be more conventional and more old fashioned like from the from the days of the milkman showing up at your doorstep you know mm-hmm. then yeah this this issue was more about consumerism and and you know cuz they've got the funko pop vinyls right. and uh and yeah, it was it was more about the sort of the artificiality and the consumerist nature of America, and in that way, it's kind of revealing more of the overall what 
what Milk Wars means. I think people have been confused as to what the point of all of this was. And I think actually reading it alongside of uh, the old Shade the Changing Man, which we're not talking about this week, but it, it really, there's a, there's a spiritual link to there because that story talks a lot about sort of the what ails America type yeah. stuff, you know? The death of the American dream. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this kind of feeds into, you know, this is kind of a modern look at what is ailing America. And so I think more of that came out in this issue. And I think you're right, there's a little more to advance the plot because they're literally at Retcon headquarters. Right. And and so um, much of this series has been about Cave's eye. So yes. it just makes sense that this would be more more plot heavy. But at the same time, I was surprised to not see everybody show up in this. You know, like, every at the end of every other issue, they've been like, we got to go meet Cave Carson, you know, because right. they get the, yeah. the message. Room. I expected that to actually happen here, and that didn't. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm down on the issue. I really enjoyed this issue, actually. I love yeah. the, the Swamp Thing and Cave interactions. Uh-huh. I, I love the idea of Swamp Thing living in Cave's stomach. Like yeah, that all, was great. All of that was really great. Um, I appreciate that this is is a little bit more plot driven because that that was one of my problems with the other not problems, it's the wrong word. I really enjoyed the other two issues, the, the other two tie-ins rather after that initial special. Um, I, I I just wish that there was a little bit more to them other than just sort of this object lesson, and this was that. So I enjoyed this a lot. I. Uh... I like the line, the brand maketh the man. Yeah. Because <laughs> I believe that's true. <laughs> Not really. Um, there, um, This issue had some, like, borderline Chris Ware stuff in the opening pages with, like, the cubicles and the layouts and stuff. Yeah, Langdon Foss did a hell of a job. Yeah, this issue with, looks great. With the layouts and the detail. Yeah, it does look like a Chris Ware type thing are you guys familiar with um where's waldo <laughs> no uh charles paul wilson the fourth oh i know charles yeah charles paul wilson, wilson the yeah. third but not the fourth is, is it the third is that my, my no about? i'm i'm being oh, okay. a, a douche <laughs> oh okay um, the third is his father's yes like. exactly no he did that uh the stuff of legend comic a number of years ago mm. um mm. That, that was quite good and uh he's done some like Maybe some Marvel variant covers. He does his his stuff is very. Um, if you Google it, you will see what I mean. Like I feel like the um, the pop the pop Funkos in this very much look like Charles Paul Wilson stuff. Mm. Pop pop pop. Yeah. <laughs> pop pop. <laughs> pop pop in the attic. Um, oh hey. Every yep. week. Every week. Uh, <laughs> um. There was that. There was that one guy. So they were. They had a couple pages here, or a page where they were showing um, all the writers and artists and poets. Yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and believe that the one in the very bottom right corner was Grant Morrison. <laughs> you only see a part of his eye and ear and a bit of his bald head, but I'm just gonna say that that's Grant. Sure, why not? Why not? I feel better that way. Yeah. Um. And I, the one other thing I want to say about this issue is that I thought it was really funny that Wild Dog was the one that told Cave to watch his language. 
Yeah. <laughs> at one point, because Wild Dog is probably the most vulgar character that's been in the Young Animal books so yep. far. It's taken advantage of the the M rating. So that was fun. And the Eternity Girl backup was really surprising and, and good this week, too. It's been really good, but this it took a turn now that I'm really interested in. You've been very high on that backup the whole time. Oh, yeah. It's good. I'm ready. Um, to me, this is like the ideal use of Swamp Thing right now. I think we've gotten a lot of very self-serious Swamp Thing lately. But I like a Swamp Thing that you have to like burn his leaves to have a hallucinogenic vision. You know? <laughs> I'm all about that. Um, but yeah, good stuff. Let's talk about damage, boys. Number two. Oh, we have to. We do. Written by Rob Venditti, illustrated by Tony S. Daniel. Uh, has there ever been two issues of a comic where less happened? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> damage. <laughs> Favorite line in the comic. <laughs> <laughs> what was that line? Give it to us again. It's a. Uh, it's so. It's this third page or fourth page when he wakes up from whatever, <laughs> and he just says, "Ah, damage." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I often wake up that way. Yeah. Oh man. So, did we know that his first name was Elvis? By the way. <laughs> I don't believe so. Well, that was that was good. That was. I uh, I hope this is a backdoor pilot for a tiny Elvis comic. <laughs> That's a deep <laughs> SNL cut. <laughs> hey man, look at that salt shaker, man. That is huge. <laughs> Zach, if you haven't seen this, it's one of the dumbest sketches in SNL history. Nicholas Cage was the host. And essentially, they just used like uh, shitty, like uh, depth perception stuff to 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 make Elvis be tiny Elvis, and he just comments on how big everything is, like a lamp and a salt shaker and a steering wheel of a car, and that's that's it, that's it. But I, I I knew Vince would get that joke, and so therefore I had to say it. So, um, yeah. Tommy Elvis. <laughs> this comic sucks, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. Um, I thought initially there were there was an opportunity for them to be like, oh, they're gonna kind of get into to who uh, Elvis. <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face. Um, who Elvis is as a person, mm-hmm. um, and kind of the struggles he's gone through since being essentially. Uh, Kind of disowned by, I mean, not disowned, but um, separated from American public life. Yeah, you know, but they didn't really, they didn't really explore that. You kind of felt like they were going to with him, like going to this shelter and trying to go out on the street in public and get food and you know use that woman's cell phone, but like. he's such a nothing he's a real blank slate and so all of this like soul searching that he's walking around doing 
I didn't take away anything from it because I don't, I don't get how he's feeling either. You know, like he's really just too much of a blank slate to relate to, or I mean, you on, know what I mean? Yeah. On one hand, I'm glad that we have this sort of we're being dropped in the middle of the story because I feel like you know there are some in almost any other timeline this would have been issue eight, where the first six issues were how this character became damaged. So on that hand, I'm glad that we have skipped a lot of that stuff. But you're right, because we have skipped so much, we know nothing about this character. We've spent almost more time with him as damage, which is to say as like a as like a mute uh, wrecking machine than we have as as Tiny Elvis here. And so... It, it is very hard to know what the character stands for, how he's feeling, etc. Well, it's also weird how this is basically just turning into like a, you know, DCU who's who, you know, like we've had two issues with Suicide Squad. This issue ends with Wonder Woman. Yeah. yeah. They're really trying to legitimize damage by using all these other characters and I don't think it's really working. <laughs> no. no. I, uh, obviously, we've only seen one issue of Sideways. We've only seen one issue of The Silencer thus far. Uh, we haven't seen anything from New Challengers or uh, The Terrifics yet or any of that. I just get the feeling that at some point the enthusiasm for this project waned and they realized, like, oh, we don't have to really do that much for these. Let's just let's just let them let's just let them out there do their thing because there was so much enthusiasm behind these books initially, and then I don't know about you guys, I feel like DC has not been pushing these the way I expected them to. The whole thing has just been really weird. Yeah, this is truly Bloodlines two point <laughs> Uh, did you guys read the Future Quest Presents with Birdman? No. <clears throat> Me neither. Uh, let's talk about Green Lanterns, number 41, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Barnaby Begenda. We get the uh, a little more with with uh, our friend from the Omega Men. We get a little more of the uh, Caper app. We get a little more of the date between Simon and... Uh, uh, Night, Night Pilot? Night Pilot. There we go. I, I night, like that night pilot character. Yeah, I was gonna say night owl. That's a whole, that's a whole different. Uh... <laughs> that that date would go very different. Yes, it would. <laughs> but it's it is set up to go. It has a similar setup potentially. <laughs> yeah. Just just exchange the sector house out for the uh, for Archie. Yeah. That, that's right. Put on a little uh, hallelujah. <laughs> a little Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Go to town. Our uh, our friend James Johnston. Is currently watching the Watchmen movie and is tweeting about that. it. So I saw that yeah. he's doing he's doing what we should be doing. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there eventually, folks. We didn't forget about it. We promise. Um, but yeah, um, th- I mean, this book still is not perfect, but this is the first arc that feels like really something something different and something unique. And Celia's done a good job of giving the characters a little bit of uh, 
a little bit of something to do that feels unexpected and feels and, and feels interesting. I don't necessarily love the impending Simon Jessica romance that seems to be hinted at here. But aside from that, I'm really enjoying this this arc. Uh, what do you boys think? Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. I think Celie's found a really good sense of humor and timing in this. I, I liked when they were disguised as like the the like uh, intergalactic bounty hunters. Um, Simon kind of looked like a '70s porn star at the time. Um, yeah, it's 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 been a fun book now, and. Um, the Baganda art is good. Uh, the the they mentioned the I, that was what surprised me is they mentioned the Jack T. Chance Green Lantern mm, Hell yeah. Hellhole stuff. Yeah. I haven't heard of that. When was the last time we saw anything of that? Well, Jack T. Chance died in the lead up to Blackest, Blackest Night, Night. I think yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I I would have said Blackest Night. Yeah, that that sounds right. It was. Yeah, it must have been before Blackest Night. Wow. Over ten years ago. Holy oh, balls. Wow. That makes me feel so old. Yeah. Um, um, one thing that made me laugh. Um, how do you guys pronounce this the, the sector, the system that the Omega Men were in? Vega? Vega, okay. That's how I pronounce it, too. So when... Um, when... When Simon says that he will turn scraps over to the vegan authorities, like, that's a thing, but I couldn't help but read that as the vegan authorities. <laughs> you think of Scott And then I was, I was reminded, yes, I couldn't... Yeah. <laughs> no vegan powers! <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite scenes in that movie yeah <laughs> chicken parmesan isn't vegan with, with our friend Brendan Ralph as, uh, as you as, were a vegan, no, vegan. Now, now you, you were vegan, vegan. <laughs> <laughs> I partake not in the meat nor the breast milk nor the ovum of any creature with a face yeah. <laughs> there we go we love Scott Pilgrim guys Best comic book movie ever made. I will stand by that statement. Yes. Uh, all right. This is fun. This is good. I I hope. I still think that the both of this and the Hal Jordan book are probably going to end sooner than later, and we're going to see a new Lantern status quo. But I'm happy to see Sealy doing this for a while. This is uh this is a lot of fun. It took him a few issues to find his uh his sea legs, but that's okay. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a minute with more DC Recounts. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, 
discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back. Did anybody read Harley Quinn? No. Mm-mm. All right. Moving no, on. I, I I thumbed through it and it didn't look important. So yeah, uh, we did not mention last week because we were sort of still um, digesting the solicits that uh, both Titans and Teen Titans and Harley Quinn were all not included in the May solicits. And uh, I wonder if you know. Last week we were talking about well, why didn't they just reboot Harley Quinn with the new number one after uh, after Connor and Palmiati left and. I think the answer might be that they're going to use this uh, No Justice event. Because, you know, if you read the solicits, she is singled out specifically in one of the solicits as saying, like, how she doesn't really fit in with her team, so what could she offer them? So I feel like maybe this is going to be sort of a recontextualizing of her. Mm. Um, and maybe they, just, they didn't want to give her a new number one until until this event, and they can't go a month without a Harley Quinn comic. Or two, you know, because it's such a big seller, so... Yeah, that's not a bad theory. Um, but anyway, let's get to Justice League number 39, written by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Ian Churchill. Um, I really like this issue a lot. I know Zach's been down on this run. I thought this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. I liked the stuff with Cyborg quite a bit. I liked the um, the Justice League of America showing up here. Uh, this was some good stuff. So, was that opening segment just to explain why Arthur has a new costume at the end of issue 38? I'm pretty sure, yes. Yeah. Fair enough. It looks, it looks the same. It is, yeah, it is, but just the timeline is weird. Like, I, I you have that, which I guess was is supposed to happen before and then you jump to after that issue ends with like the new status quo and Batman and Jessica, you know, kissy kiss and, and all that. So I'm I'm sorry. Can I interrupt for one second here? Yeah. That's what I wanted to say. The one thing about Green Lanterns I didn't like this week is that it totally ignores the fact that, Jessica says she hasn't dated in years, but she dated Barry like five minutes ago. That's true. <laughs> that's You're all. right. That's all. Sorry. Okay, continue. No, that's all. Well, that's pretty much all I had to say. The just that little bit was kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. But you know, Jason Momoa shows up for a hot second, so <laughs> I, it, <laughs> it was nice seeing John Jones back. Yes. Vince, what do you think of this issue? I liked it a lot. It I had like... one of my favorite things in it. What's that? Hashtags. Ah. <laughs> Lots of hashtags. You do love hashtags. I hashtag, hate hashtags. Hashtag JL Deadly Ice. <laughs> how, how many <laughs> people do you think are using that one? Hashtag Three JL. Three tonight. Who's the big guy? Yeah. <laughs> Toxic couch. <laughs> Oh, I hate... This is one of my biggest pet peeves, 
in in social media, but also in comics. Yeah. Comics, social media. Yeah, I agree. Jail Flyboy. Or Flyby. Flyboy will be better. <laughs> I wish Flyboy fly boy. would be good. Yeah. Um, I liked the all the different Batman. Yes, that, that was, was clever. Yeah, that was an that awesome was, panel. That was an awesome panel. Those are like not even redrawings. They're like photoshopped yeah. in. Yep. Yeah. Which is pretty great. So we got we got the the quietly one. Yep. Mm-hmm. We've got the animated series one. Yep. Dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight Returns one. Um, I don't know who that like front and center one is supposed to be. Is that um? Is that is that Jim Aparo Batman? Hold okay. on. Hang on, I'm pulling this up now. I, I also did love the um, the sort of the, the fake out that that Vic gives of like, oh, Batman's probably here. He's a master of disguise. That reminded me of uh, from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when he's talking about how Marcus Brody is going to blend in and he speaks all these languages and all that, and then you see him utterly lost in the street. Mm. You know, it was it was it was a clever moment. I, I think yep. Priest is really good at giving all these characters like believable, fun moments. It reminded me of um, Pistachio Disguise from The Master of Disguise. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the first bit of trivia for Master of Disguise is? Oh God! You're gonna you're gonna tell the 9/11 story. Yeah. Do you know this, Zach? No. The first one is that is like uh, they were filming the scene at the Turtle Club on 9/11. Oh, I do know this. I do. And the crew and cast uh, observed a moment of silence. I do know that. Yes. Am I not turtly enough for the turtle? Turtle, turtle. I've never seen that movie, but I probably should. <laughs> the statue of disguise. <laughs> this is why you listen, folks. Right here. <laughs> Stay tuned for a clean slate goof next week as we continue our Dana Carvey filmography <laughs> tribute. Uh my stepdaughter's really into the early Adam Sandler movies lately, so uh-huh. I'll, I'll have a bunch of new Adam Sandler material to Olé. try out on future shows. Yeah, Sabadu. Galatista. Hey, shut up. <laughs> Shampoo is better. Uh, okay. Smiley. Yeah. Uh, goo. Okay, there we go. Um... <laughs> Uh, anything else to say about Justice League? I hate that Bob Barker. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's move on to Nightwing number thirty nine. Uh, ri- written by Sam Humphreys, illustrated by uh, we have, we have two artists here: Phil Jimenez doing. I have to say, a very nice like eighties inspired Dick Grayson for the flashback. Uh, sequences and Jamal Campbell doing the present day stuff like I don't know about you guys I, I felt like Jimenez did a nice job obviously he 
this like this the timeline of DC is weird. So he wasn't actually drawing Dick like in the eighties, but I felt like it really did resemble some of like the Wolfman Perez um Teen Titans just sort of visually. Did you guys pick up on that as well? Yes. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was nice. Other than that, this issue was fucking garbage, but, you know, <laughs> that was nice. Zach, did you read this? I didn't even open it until just now. Oh, man. I, I'm so done with this story, but apparently people are liking it. Hold on. I do have something to contribute. Give me just a second. Continue conversations. I just don't like the, the so the reveal that he's actually like this mythical character we never heard of until this week. Right. It's one of those classic comics like twists that happens 5 issues into a 6 issue arc and it's who gives a shit, you yeah. know? Um Oh boy. <laughs> What's this now? <laughs> <laughs> Nut face. I was like, would you classify this face as derp or nut? (laughs) It's a nut derp. Derp nut. Uh, Derp nut. Oh, boy. Hold on. Okay, talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No. You're right, Vince. This is like... We have... (laughs) We have... Oh no! <laughs> oh. This is everybody's favorite part of the show. I don't right? like it. <laughs> no, I know it's you don't know how to feel about that one. Yeah. No. <laughs> um. But yeah, this is a, a classic, a classic shitty comics move of making a character that isn't feeling significant enough suddenly feeling way like tonally out of place by just going over the top and doubling down on like the importance. And supernatural significance of the character, like the, the judge was kind of a boring, nothing character. But to make him like a you know hundreds of year old, uh, like urban legend, to me adds nothing to the story. Yeah, mm, yeah. I didn't know that, but <laughs> but you does nothing for me. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's just it's just none of it's earned. None of this history feels real. Um, it's because it's real. Yeah, it's not. It's not. None of it is real. That's true. He feels like Joker light, you know. Yeah. But I have I already said that on this podcast. Yeah, I think so. But it's not. It's not any less uh, correct today as it was last time you said it. Yeah, just like one of those characters that like comes in and. Claims to see the real truth behind everything, you know, and I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, let's wash that unpleasantness out of our mouth by talking about Super Sons, number mm. 13. Um, this is written by Peter Tomasi, illustrated by Carlo Barberi, and uh, I love that. Tomasi is being so overt with his homages in naming things in this book. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that they go to the West Reeve school in uh, in Metropolis, or that their headquarters is located in Morrison Bay, 
Like I, I don't get it. Yeah, I know. I know you don't, bud. That's all right. Uh, but yeah, just like little stuff like that. Just you know, Tomasi's always been good at sort of connecting the greater DCU through his books, and these are very, very small little nods to people who are important to these characters. But I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. But aside from that, I also thought this was a very fun issue. I think uh, I think it, it's it's a little bit weird how. How sort of, and this is going to come off sounding all wrong, but like how there was this concerted effort to make Talia Al Ghul look really sexy in this issue. Like, I feel like that didn't really fit with the character. Like she's dressed really skimpy in a couple of scenes, and that just felt odd. Um, Brian Horney, Michael. What can I say? I love the demon's daughter. Um, now, what would what, what, you boys think of this issue? Zach, why don't you take first? Uh, I mean, this is this is still just very good. Um, Tomasi has the voices for the for these characters down, and I I feel like I mean this has been present a lot, but I feel like this issue just really highlighted how much growth Damien has had mm-hmm. since he was created. Um, more so than probably. I can't think of many modern comic characters who have had this much um, change in growth. Um, That's a good question, actually. Yeah, and the the great thing about Damien so far is that I I'm, I really feel like none of it has been none of his growth has been unearned, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it feels like a natural progression of the character. He yeah, has, he, progression is like the key word there. Like yeah. he, he really feels like we can feel the progression of time with him a little bit. For sure. Yeah, it's it's what I really miss about the old days of DC. You know, it's what I hope uh, rebirth or the post rebirth landscape is allowed to go back to. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, because I mean, this, when we met Damien, he was how old? Like, how old was he supposed to be? Do you remember? What, like eight, eight or nine? Eight think, or right? nine? Yeah. yeah. And now he's, he's thirteen, right? And you really feel that like characters don't really get to grow like that anymore. Yeah. Um. This issue was really good at demonstrating that because it it basically harkened back to um like when we very when we met Damien for the very first time like specifically how he was raised and Teen Titans had already done a little bit of that but it's mm-hmm. nice to be reminded every once in a while how far he really has come absolutely yeah yeah and no like specific callbacks but kind of like thematically you know, calling back to the the DCU Robin series, yeah, um, that uh, that Gleason did. Um, with kind of like him wrestling with his past or whatever, but yeah, this was really good. Yeah, I, I also liked the uh, the moment with with Damien and the homework in class, where like <laughs> you know he had done the reading. He's pissed that no one else does it. He gets everyone to sign 200 pages of reading and is just a righteous prick about it. Yeah. 
Hey, can we talk about that? How old is John supposed to be? How old is that class supposed to be? I believe. Well, I, okay. So I believe Damien is eleven, is thirteen, and John is eleven. Okay. Do you guys know anything about Winter's Tale? N- not particularly. By, no. By Mark Halperin. Mm-mm. It's like a seven hundred plus page, uh, sort of. Um, magical realism story about New York. And I don't think it's something that would ever be, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think it would ever be assigned to a class of 11 year olds. Not that it's like super mature or or anything like that. It would be 13 year olds because it's Damien's class. Oh, it's Damien's class. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, But still, still like, I just don't think that, That just seemed like a very weird choice. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe maybe thirteen year olds are reading Winter's Tale these days, but um, it's an insanely long book, and it's very. It's not like a classic, (laughs) you know. I mean, it's like it's like a modern fantasy classic, I guess. Um, written by a real asshole writer, but um, where's the scar card? No, no, Mark Halperin, but close. <laughs> I, was just, I was just referring to another weird DC uh, situation there. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> that really struck me as funny. Like, there's no way this class is going to be reading this book. Um, but whatever, <laughs> that's my hangout. Yeah, this is a good issue. Sad to see this book go. Did we talk about that last week? I don't think so. Yeah, so this... No, I don't think we knew yet. This volume of Super Sons is ending with with issue 18, I believe. Um, 18 or 16? Now that I'm saying Uh, that. 16. 16. But Tomasi has promised that he is doing more with these characters. Uh, I was telling the boys before we went on air... That I reached out to DC for comments about um, Teen Titans, Titans, and Harley Quinn being off the solicits, and they did not get back to me. And I think that, similar to what I said about Harley Quinn about the status quo changing, I think we're going to see Tomasi writing a Teen Titans book after uh, after New Justice wraps up. I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm really hoping that they um, sort of consolidate some of the younger characters into a Teen Titans book. Like, I don't... I, I think you might see the the Titans drop people like Nark and uh, Omen and pick up a Starfire or a Beast Boy and sort of reunite that that generation of heroes to let someone like Jaime Reyes or um, or Static Shock show up in Teen Titans again. Mm. You know, sort of really double down on the teen part of the group. Yeah. I think one thing to note is that Super Sons is definitely not being canceled because of sales or anything like that. Right. Um, I think sometimes people get. I don't. I don't think people always get why or like how the comics industry works. You know. Because mm-hmm. um, I saw Tomasi on Twitter doing a lot of like. Yeah, we're we're going away, but like we're not. You know, it's not. It's not due to sales. It's. Because they're they're in the top fifty, 
Yeah. They sell like they sell like thirty five thousand issues of Super Sons a month, so that's not unhealthy. There's probably just a different type of story they want to tell. Yeah. And let I me... wish and I, I wish it weren't I wish it weren't like that. Like I wish we could I wish we could get to a hundred issues of Azrael yep. <laughs> again, but we can't. Yeah. That's our benchmark. Zach, what are you going to say? Mm, I don't remember. I don't think it was that important. Uh, what I was going to say also is I feel like Super Sons is going to be a cornerstone of the DC Young Reader imprints. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see less monthly adventures, but more sort of uh, OGNs featuring these characters. Mm. All right, let's talk about Superman number 41, written by James Robinson. <laughs> Illustrated by Ed Bennis. Vince wants to talk about someone sending their nut through space. It's my favorite issue of the week because it's the only issue where uh, alien from a dying planet is going to send his cum in a rocket ship. I mean, to, to be fair, his his fer- the cum is already fertilized an egg. They only did that because they couldn't call it cum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in editorial, they have like 50 things written on a whiteboard, and they keep crossing it out, and they just keep coming back to the word come and circling it. Like, how do we get around this? And you know James Robinson's looking at that going, I'm going to crack this nut. Because like, seriously, Unintended. like... Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like, they didn't use the word sperm or semen or anything. They used egg... You know that they're just not allowed to say even sperm, probably. Which I think, you know, I, I think I think I'm gonna someday I'm gonna write for DC Comics and I'm gonna be the first. I'm gonna break that glass ceiling. Well, but I I think they really are eggs, though. They but he made them eggs because he couldn't make them sperm. I'm convinced. But if it was just sperm, he couldn't. Make babies. Uh, all right, but he still doesn't say that I spermed in the eggs. And I know, <laughs> okay, I, fair. You're right. You're he right. Did not say, 100% true. <laughs> he did not say, my nut butter has not entered these uh, these eggs yet. Right. Uh, you, you win there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you think all those tubes are for? <laughs> Connected to the little the the egg ball. Yeah. Here is the here is the last of me. <laughs> That's an interesting way of saying. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> See, they did just dance. I'm reading it right now. They're just dancing around it. They can't say it. <laughs> this is the matriarchy winning again. Keep it, keeping the man down. Yep. First, it was that uh, ironing droid in Star Wars. Now this. <laughs> yes. Oh, listeners, I hope you know I'm not serious. <laughs> um, I okay. So th- this is not a great issue, but I will say that um, I'm just happy that it seems like there is this edict at DC now where we have to make sure that Superman is is being as just as possible all the time. 
And after the New 52, where he seemed to not give a shit about anything, it's just refreshing to see Superman being so committed to helping people again. Mm-hmm. Well, the power is back on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I do think it continues the weirdness of last month's or the last issue where they had watched like their own 9-11 over again. Right. Because like at the end, John's like, is it weird that I thought that was kind of beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm reading that and I'm thinking like, what are you, what, what are you trying to say here, Robinson? <laughs> like, I don't understand the point that's trying to come across there, but I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Zach, anything to add? Um, I, yeah, I wonder, there probably is some kind of like commentary on Superman's status as like a godlike figure, maybe. I feel like that it was maybe kind of what he was getting at. Mm hmm. Sort of like the Dr. Manhattan, like, uh, you know, Doctor Manhattan lost his humanity as he became uh, yeah. more godlike, and how Superman yeah. fights that or whatever. Yeah, I can maybe see it being something like that. I know what uh, what wasn't subtle was the global warming parable that this whole thing was. Yeah, <laughs> which is uh, Klein was right. Is all I'm going to say. <laughs> He was right to jizz in that pod. Um, I feel Once like a day, every day. <laughs> All right, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. That's a better way to go out. Um, <laughs> up next, The Brave and the Bold, Batman and Wonder Woman by Liam Sharp. Um, we get some uh, some both pre- and, post and post-coital Diana and Steve Trevor in this issue. Uh, we get a lot of sort of Gaelic imagery. And we get a lot of really nice Liam Sharp art. Zach, what do you think of this? Um, do you guys remember the Mystic Knights of Tiernanog? <laughs> the short-lived Fox television series that was... Uh, in the vein of Power Rangers and that ilk? No. I don't. Oh my god, I don't. Uh, that, that was a real thing? That was my introduction to the concept of Tiernanog, and that was what I immediately went back to. Um, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. Well, Wow. I know what I'm doing tonight before I go to bed. Check, check it off. out. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild. It's basically like Power Rangers if they were medieval Scottish Scottish knight type. They had cool armor and old weapons and mystic knights. Mm Mm-hmm. Man. It's a it's a rabbit hole you can go down. But um I am gonna jack it to this. I liked <laughs> I liked this issue a lot. I almost kinda wish it was just its own I it has like a Camelot three thousand vibe yes. to it. Yes. And I almost kinda wish it was that without the Batman Wonder Woman component. 
I wish it was just like its own thing. The, the yeah, the, the sad reality of of sort of twenty eighteen comics is, I don't think this would have been greenlit if it was just its own thing. It, it wouldn't have, it, not at all. But I, I feel like that that world and like kind of that imagery and all that stuff. <laughs> um, all all of the 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 stuff in Tiernanog is so visually interesting and cool. And I, I feel like that world just takes a backseat to the same old Batman Wonder Woman stuff that we get in any other comic, you know? I wonder if Batman was tossed into this to help goose sales a bit, because it seems like it's very thin Batman connection thus far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zach, I want what you want, except... They could even keep Wonder Woman in it, but they could they could, take out yeah. the Batman. Um, but I liked this a lot, actually, and I went in with no expectations. Not because I don't like Liam Sharp's, Sharp's art, because I really do, but because like the premise itself didn't do much for me, but the execution was kind of incredible. I think like. I don't understand how an artist like Liam Sharp is this detailed. Like, you know what I mean? Like he did a monthly wonder woman book for a while and stayed pretty regular. He maybe had like, they had like a fill in between arcs, right? Yeah. I I don't get how he does it because this stuff is incredible. And the other thing is that as a writer, he's pretty good too. I, I thought this was really funny. Like, there were some jokes that really landed. I don't think it was... There were some overly wordy parts, but I feel I felt like they were that way on purpose because, like, it was usually this guy from Tiernanog, like, doing this very flowery pronouncement, you know? Right. And it, it, it seemed to serve a purpose. You also have to, like... You have to let people know where they are in, a, in terms of a setting. And uh-huh. so to be overly wordy might have been a conscious choice to to show the audience better sort of what's going on here, if that makes sense. Yeah, it felt like a choice for, like, the fantasy element of it, but not for the comic as a whole, you know? Yeah. Um, It was really nicely done. I I was really blown away at how much I enjoyed this. I'm glad I'm Sharp's doing something. Me too. It's interesting how Liam Sharp, in a lot of ways, is to rebirth what Greg Capullo was the New Fifty Two, where it was this like nineties, this artist known for their work in the nineties, sort of getting a, a real shot in the arm and becoming like one of DC's top artists in the process. Yeah. All right, uh, that brings us to Trinity number eighteen, written by James Robinson, illustrated by uh, Patch Searcher. So, I still don't get the whole interrogation thing that's going on here, uh, but I have to say, this is still pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to fake you guys out there. Um, you, you did. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, th- there, there is something fun about seeing these three kind of do incredible things together and, you know, go beyond their limitations and all that. 
but the story is just so thin. And, and and it's weird because it's both a really thin story and also so much happens in this issue. <laughs> like, this almost felt like uh, that Robinson had plotted like a 12-issue miniseries. And they're like, you're getting five, James. And he's like, all right. Well, so in this issue, we'll have them both ride the unicorns and see the like the ghost of the warlord and all this stuff, you know. There's there's a lot here, but also nothing here. Yeah, I don't really have much to say about this. Zach, was this one you read? Did you read this? No. No. Um, it's really weird because this comic does some stuff that I wish comic books would do more often, which is what you say, Brian. It's take these fantastical epic adventures and condense them down a little bit more rather than decompress them, you know? Like, I loved that just in the course of a couple pages, they went across this fantasy landscape to get to, like, across the Lake of Dreams, get into Shambhala, um... Now I've got that song in my head. Yep. <laughs> um, but, like, I love that. But at the same time, it is just so nothing. So I feel like I'm contradicting myself because it's doing a thing that I really enjoy when comics do, and it's avoiding the pitfalls of decompression, and yet it's not adding up to a story arc that I really care about or want to read. And I don't know if it's because I think part of it is that like with the warlord and like the like warlord showing up and then his daughter talking about how like well the warlord was just an apparition and then like well he's actually dead it like that part of the story is literally not grounded like literally what we're seeing is not right real and so then the st- I'm not sure how to feel about the stakes of their adventure, you know? Yeah. Like wh- how much of this is real? What is what is this, you know? And I really wish they weren't doing the interrogation sort of uh cold opening part because that like it takes all the rather- stakes away. It does. It ra- right. And rather than adding to the mystery, it's it's almost like telling you well, you already know they're going to end up in this room being interrogated by somebody. It's almost distracting because I almost just wish I knew what that was, and I'm more interested. I'm more interested in the part of the story that I should be less interested in. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And Pat Sercher does some nice work here. I like his art in general, and mm-hmm. I think that him playing around with both the like the Trinity and the Warlord stuff. He manages to find a nice middle ground between there. I, I think sometimes when artists are locked into a more fantastical setting, they can lose some of what their usual sort of superhero style is, and they can, they can go sort of too far into that fantasy setting or fantasy tone. I feel like he strikes this nice balance that some falls somewhere between the more uh, classic fantasy elements and also superhero comics. Yeah. All right. Well, let's close it out with Vince's favorite book of the year, uh, twenty eighteen <laughs> comic of the year, Wonder Woman Conan. Comic of the year of all years. Exactly. 
great comic or greatest comic? Um, written by Gal Simone, illustrated by Aaron Lepresti, uh, dozed off during reading by Brian Salvatore. No. Yes. No. Yeah, this is a bad issue, Vince. Oh. No. This is better, better Lepresti art, though. Sure. Still a bad issue. cleaned up a bit. This is the best Lepresti art in a while. Zach is right. You're wrong, Brian, about how bad this issue is. This was wonderful. I loved it. Did you really? Yes, I did. Oh, God. I did. I thought it was like, again, I'm I'm really impressed at the handle that Gail Simone has on Wonder Woman and Conan as characters and mixing them together in a way that is true to both of them, you know? Um, what didn't you... I want to hear what you didn't like about this because I've talked enough about what I like about this series. I mean, I... Part of it just is that I'm I'm not really feeling the story that Simone is telling. Part of it is that the one kind of mysterious element of the story was like, why doesn't Wonder Woman remember this interaction when he was calling her Yana? Oh, in this issue they just say, because that's fucking not her. That somebody else looks just like her, and it's like an echo of her. And that's an interesting idea if it was developed properly, but it's thrown out there so quickly and so haphazardly that it, it can't be interesting. See, I just think that that's, that's Gail Simone just being metatextual and saying it, – it's almost like telling people, you know, it doesn't matter. Like when, when people get hung up on whether this is the real Wonder Woman or whether this ish, this story slots in where, that, that it doesn't matter. And, a, you know, cross-company crossovers like this, you, you should just take it as an echo of – characters that you recognize you know and i just thought that was a really nice way to poetically connect these two characters in a way that they shouldn't because they're not from the same world or from the same company you know i I think that's a more elegant way of explaining how this all happened than you know i also didn't like the uh the way how american summer ending that this book pulled <laughs> where uh where like the whole thing is set up to be this love story between conan and yana and then she's like no i'm gonna go back and have sex with my husband and he's like i'm cool with that it's essentially the exact thing that happens to coop at the end of what hot american summer and are you just saying that because conan kind of looks like coop <laughs> in that post comic uh crossover where he's stuffed into a uh, suit yeah exactly he's he i'm sure michael showalter was the model that they had in mind for this <laughs> character so well the phone well, the phone where's the fucking phone sorry <laughs> well you're gonna be thrilled when i send in uh wonder woman conan as one of the top uh <laughs> miniseries at the end of the year as i said book of the year for you i don't i don't know if it's gonna be number one but it's what we do five? Do we do five miniseries for that, or is I believe it so. It's going to be in the top five. I can tell you that already. For so many reasons, I hope there are five more miniseries better than this this year. <laughs> well, when they do, when they would do Wonder Woman Conan Part Two, then we'll we'll see. 
I hope Vince forgets all of them and has to put this at number one. <laughs> he like gets to make his list. He's like, oh crap, what what miniseries did I read this year? <laughs> oh yeah, Wonder Woman Conan. That was the only one. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow uh, all of Multiversity forgets to fill out the column. <laughs> and so this was up for our number one miniseries of the year. Hells yeah. Uh, That's right. It's that good. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> no, I um part of this also in in full disclosure is just I'm not particularly a Conan fan. You got to fix that, buddy. I I'm sorry. Uh give me some good Conan comics to read and I'll read them. I'll do that. Um all the Roy Thomas stuff from back in the day. Oh, my own. Don't be using my cultural heritage against me here, okay? We don't really have any Polish phrases that are that just roll off the tongue like that. Um, kielbasa. No, that's not a that's not a catchphrase. Make it one. Be the change yeah, you want to see in the world. Come on. But if but if I say it, it's gonna sound Italian. Kielbasa. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> That's you can't own, say it with... That's your own fault there. Oh, gabagoop. Exactly. As I often say to my wife, there's two kinds of people in the world. People who are Italian, people who want to be Italian. So, <laughs> My name is Vinny. Exactly. Hey, I'm Vinny Ostrowski. Hey, I'm Vinny O. See, that, that kind of sounds like a Vinny O. I'm Vinio, the fucking Packers. Hoops a days Who wants to cry to the national? <laughs> That's that is not. No Italian has ever cried to the national. Uh, you're probably right about that. It's like who wants to cry to some Mario Lanza? Oh, yeah. All right, all right, folks. That does it for this week. We got off on a weird tangent there at the end as we tend to do. Um, thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. Next week, we will finish out our uh, Shade the Changing Man reread of issues 1 through 10. Uh, we were going to do it this week, but Zach had uh, some plumbing issues. That's not a euphemism. He literally had issues with the plumbing in his house. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was important to clarify that. I don't mean he has the farts or something. Yeah. <laughs> Get the old uh, night owl syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 there you go. Yep, he's got a pet owl. Um, <laughs> so, what does that mean? That sounds like a euphemism too. <laughs> that was the point. Uh, yeah, so um, go to multiversitycomics.com. Check out, um, by the time this goes up, there'll be a column up about the uh, May solicits for DC. And uh, we have an exclusive preview of the final issue of Blue Beetle up right now. And um, this week we'll have lots of, we'll have at least reviews of uh, the Terrifics and a couple other DC books. So yeah, check out multiversitycomics.com. And you can follow the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. I'm at Vince Ostrowski. And I'm at SirFox89. And we'll be back next week with Mira, Queen of Atlantis, the Terrifics. And, uh, what else? The Milk Wars finale. Oh, yeah, the Milk Wars finale. Mm -hmm. Big week. Big week. 
Join us then. Thanks, guys. Mm, too beefy.